man, moms are just always having to set aside their priorities, slow down their plans and personal ambitions for the sake of their kids um, constantly. And that is uh, hard and challenging. It's beautiful and good and Christ-like. And that's not only a gift to your kids. It is. It's also a gift to our church. It's a gift to our city. Um, and so we honor you. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, before our sermon, I'd like to take a moment and say a prayer for moms in the room uh, because it's such hard work and it's worthy of honor. So if you could um, pray with me. Dear Father, uh, thank you for not leaving Adam alone, for giving humanity Eve, the mother of all living, the mother of all mothers. Thank you for the faithful mothers here at Citizens. Will you bless them today and every day? Motherhood is such incredibly hard work. Will you bless our mothers for their sacrifice, for staying up late and waking up early and working hard every moment in between? Will you reward them for faithfully feeding their kids, bathing them, protecting them, instructing their kids, discipling them, correcting them, forming them, encouraging their children, praying for them, courageously releasing them at every new life stage? Will you repay them more than they have given? Be near to our mothers when they're discouraged. Will you remind them of your grace when they fail or when they think they failed? Will you show them mercy when they're tired, frustrated, and discouraged? Will you assure them that their own future and their kids' future does not depend on perfect parenting? but rests in your love for them and their kids. Give the mothers here strength to keep going for faith and holiness, and may their work bear eternal fruit in themselves and in their kids. Please, Father, see their sacrifice and honor them. Father, we also pray for those here for whom Mother's Day is hard. We pray for those women who long to be mothers uh, but have struggled with infertility. Will you open up pathways to motherhood for them? heal their bodies or their spouse's bodies, grant them marriage, open doors for adoption and fostering. We pray for those who have lost children through miscarriage, abortion, or death. Be near to them as they remember their babies. Sustain these parents. Sustain these parents until they can be reunited with them in glory. We pray also for those whose mothers have passed away. Would you comfort them today? Draw near to them as they miss their moms. We pray for those who have fraught relationships with their mothers. Would you give those folks handles on how to honor today while also honoring the pain they've experienced? We pray for those who have fraught relationships with their kids, whose journey of motherhood hasn't been the picture that they imagined. Sustain their hope, grant joy and peace, reconciliation, resurrection. We pray for the future of mothers in this room, for those expecting children in the next few months or who will be over the coming years. Prepare their bodies and souls for childbirth and early motherhood. Keep them safe and their babies safe. Again, thank you, Father, for how you created us in your image as men and women, fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. Thank you for not leaving Adam alone, but for gifting him Eve and for gifting us these women who mean so much to us. Not just uh, the mothers here, but every sister in Christ here. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, Laura is reading our passage this morning. She will be reading John 4, 
uh, verses 1 through 30. Uh, now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep, where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in, a in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you ha now have is not your husband. What you, what you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This is God's word. Again, uh, so grateful to be here with you this morning. Excited to look again at John 4. Last week, we were outside in the park, and we uh, split up into groups and discussed this passage. Uh, but we focused on how Jesus does conversation. Uh, what is the way that he uh, engages with people? And as we said, John chapter 4 recounts a barrier-breaking conversation. Uh, Jesus was a Jewish man. And at this time, culturally, Jews hated Samaritans, and men didn't talk much with women they didn't know. And so the scandal of this conversation is made pretty clear right at the start when the woman says in John 4, 9, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so that makes this story really striking and countercultural and instructive to us um, as we engage 
conversations with people that we would not normally talk with, that we cross barriers. But Jesus' conversation style is not the main point of John chapter 4. We should certainly be impressed with Jesus' kindness, but what matters more is his message. The conversation is the packaging. Uh, The content is what saves. Uh, So that's our focus this morning. Earlier this year, Shepard and his classmates uh, actually met Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce. Apparently, Benioff's mother attended Presidio Middle School many years ago, and so he donated to have the uh, play yard uh, renovated. And so Salesforce threw a party for the school. They had food trucks. He came home with swag. Uh, London Breed was there. Moses Moody uh, was at the school, which is really cool. I asked Shep if he knew who Mark Benioff was. No. He's the CEO of Salesforce, like blank face. Um, He's a billionaire, one of the richest people in the world. Oh, I should have asked him for some money. That was like (laughs) exactly what he said, and then he moved on. Um, And according to Jesus, that is pretty excellent logic. Like that is spot on what he should have done. Uh, Jesus' main message to the Samaritan woman and the gospel of John's main message to us is in here, verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The entire passage is aimed at unpacking this statement. This is the whole ballgame. If you knew the gift of God, if we knew the gift of God, if we knew who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, we would ask him and he would give us living water. This is the call of Jesus to the Samaritan woman. Know who Jesus is, know the gift, and ask him for it. And it's the same call God has for us. So what is the gift of God? What is living water? In the Gospel of John, living water is one way that Jesus speaks about eternal life and the Holy Spirit. So it comes up repeatedly, and water imagery comes up throughout the book of John. In John 7, Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so living water is an expression for moving water. Um, It's like water you would find in a river or stream, which is especially fresh. It's flowing. It's alive. And that is in contrast with standing water, which will quickly become stale and dangerous uh, in heat um, over too long. And so living water, though, is being constantly replenished from some source, which is why John also connects living water with the Holy Spirit. Uh, So again, 738, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John explains, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. And so sin separates us from God, who is the source of all life. And this is why apart from God, like standing water, we will quickly die. We need to be connected to the source. And so in summary, Jesus is saying to the woman, if you knew about God's gift, which is eternal life through the Holy Spirit, and who it is that is speaking to you, the Son of God, the Messiah, then you would ask him to give you living water, which is eternal life through the Spirit. Um, But of course, she doesn't understand that yet, and so when she replies, she's still thinking about physical water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And then curiously, she adds in verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus is ever patient in conversation, and so he keeps at it. Verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so Jesus is clear, this woman doesn't get it. Uh, This water is temporary. All regular water is temporary. It doesn't satisfy. He is not speaking of that. Uh, But eventually, um, you'll always have to come back. You get thirsty again. You keep coming. Uh, But eventually, you won't be able to, just like Jacob is no longer able to. And so Jesus is offering water that never runs out, that always replenishes itself. It's not an external reality. It's internal. Um, He's offering not just to change the world, but to change us and to bring eternal satisfaction. Uh, And yes, he is greater uh, than our father Jacob. And so Jesus offers something much greater than he ever could. And so the Gospel of John, through these little details, is continuing to highlight how Jesus has come to replace the Old Covenant, the purification jars um, in John 2, the, go- the sacrifices in the temple, and here, the well of Jacob. Still thinking, though, about physical water, the woman replies, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. This woman has had a hard life. And we learn that throughout the story. And the thing about hardship is that it can tend to make us very short-sighted. Our hopes and goals become very small. And within that frame of mind, it's really hard to imagine the fullness of what Jesus is offering the world. We only see the needs right in front of us. And so that is how this woman, in her situation, is hearing Jesus And to be clear, better access to water is a real need this woman has. It would have brought her significant relief, both physically and emotionally, to not have to come to this well anymore. She's coming in the middle of the day because she's estranged from her community. She does this on a daily basis, all alone, in the heat. And so we should have great sympathy for her. We should think about her life, think about the challenges she faces, This daily trek in the heat, all alone, it's exhausting and shameful. And the Samaritan woman, to her credit, is beginning to realize that Jesus is different than any other man he, she has interacted with. Uh, He's kind, he's good, and he might be powerful. And so she does what he told her to do. She asks, give me this water. It's hard for us to identify with this woman's relationship to a need as basic as water. Um, literally hours of her day, significant energy and sweat are spent obtaining literally the most important physical ingredient for her survival. She has to have water. And it's interesting to think how if the Samaritan woman had lived in America today, she would have gotten her wish, right? Uh, Endless water piped right into her home. She would have had running water. But then she would never have met Jesus, Uh, Modern technology is often an explanation for the decline of religious faith in uh, modern times and in modern culture. As societies become more advanced, more scientific, more affluent, they find less need for God to explain or improve the world around them. But that's a misreading of the gift of God. That's not what Jesus came to do. The woman is misreading Jesus. She hears Jesus and says, sir, give me this magic water. Give me this amazing new technology, this new knowledge, this new thing you're referring to. 
But running water is not the gift God wants for the Samaritan woman. Running water is not her deepest need, which is why Jesus pivots in a really unusual way, in a way that I would not think is good. If he had asked me first, I would have said, oh, let's not go here. But Jesus goes there. Jesus says to her in verse 16, go call your husband and come here. I can't imagine her reaction to that. Like, you just picture her, like, catching her breath, like, like the, the shock of that statement. What a sharp pain this woman must have felt. Here she is relating to a kind stranger, someone she can relate to who has no knowledge of her past. This is her only free moment. And she's ma- that's maybe why she's lingering in this conversation. It's because she can talk with him without being judged. But even he knows. Go, call your husband. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. It's like a reality check for this woman. But it's a good one. It's a gracious and kind one. She was beginning to have a little hope that life might get a little better. Maybe she'd catch a break. Uh, she, she'd have running water. But then she remembers, you know, not having to come draw water wouldn't actually fix much in this woman's life. It wouldn't do her any good. It wouldn't undo the shame from her past failures. It wouldn't fix her present or change her future. She would still be in an unloving relationship with a man who refuses to marry her, who is likely using her vulnerability to his own advantage, the fact that she's unwanted, used, cast away. She would still be an embarrassment to her community and family. She would still be estranged from her religion, not allowed to worship. But she'd have water. How often are we, am I, like this Samaritan woman, short-sighted, putting my hope in Jesus for quick fixes and simple solutions. How many of my prayers reflect not only a misreading of who Jesus is and what he offers me, but even more a misreading of who I am and what I need. I think I need water. I think I need sleep. I think I need money. I think I need convenience, connection. I think I need a break. I'm so stuck in a survival mode that I miss the grandeur of what God is actually offering me. And it's true that Jesus could accomplish all those things. He could do it. And sometimes he does do it for other people. You watch and you see him provide these things for other people but he's not doing it for me. Why? Jesus, sir, give me this water so that I don't have to keep coming back here. But instead of giving me what I ask for, he asks me the most painful question imaginable. He orchestrates my life in such a way that reminds me of my shame, revealing what I actually need. I have no husband. You are right. You have had five husbands, and the one you have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now tell me again, do you really just want running water? Is that what you want? 
In the book of Jeremiah, God describes sin as drawing water from the wrong well. Jeremiah 2, verse 13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And the reality is that Jacob's well is not the only well this woman has drawn water from. This well is just one of many that she visits daily in an effort to keep her life going. She knows how to survive. I mean, to, to think about this woman's life, like, she is a survivor, right? She has navigated incredibly challenging situations and is moving ahead with life. This lady knows how to keep going. And while John 4 is, of course, written in a very different culture from ours, um, I bet most of us know one or two people with a similar relational history to this woman. We can picture it. Like, this is not too far from our culture, from our families, from my family. And we can't know the specific circumstances behind these facts. I'm sure it was some complicated and hard mixture of being sinned against and sinning herself in response. Um, behind this string of relationships, she was neither completely innocent or completely guilty. There's likely abuse here, rebellion, complicity, desperation, survival, instincts, fatalism. But regardless of the story, one thing is for sure, no man in her life has ever been anything but a broken cistern that she has dug for herself and has just disappointed her and left her longing. Is this what life is for? And all of us, like this woman, have dug for ourselves broken cisterns. Dirty wells filled with dead water that we visit over and over again, but ca they cannot quench our thirst. They cannot satisfy. And eventually we might realize it, the water gets too muddy or gross, but we just dig another one over here. Until we're six relationships in, and Jesus mercifully asks, how is that working for you? Is there not something else that you want? Something better? What are your broken cisterns that hold no water? Are they a series of romantic partnerships like this woman? Or are they experiences, pleasures, prestige, career, family, finances, therapies, ideologies? And each of those things can be so good when they are channels connected to God's goodness. But they cannot hold water in and of themselves if they're not sourced in God, who is the fountain of living waters. And Jesus came to do more than provide for our material needs. He came to reconnect us and our lives to God, who is the fountain of living waters. He came to forgive us of sin, to free us from shame, to heal our souls and make us whole. To not just make dying more comfortable, but to defeat death. After Jesus exposes this woman's shame, it's too difficult for her. Um, but amazingly, she doesn't shut the conversation down. Uh, this is such an admirable lady that she presses through. She wants to keep talking to Jesus. It makes me wonder how many conversations are not recorded in the Gospels because they just fall flat. Like, how many of these conversations did he have with people who then left? But then this is the story of someone who stuck it out who continued on. 
She's a brave lady, but she does change the subject. Uh, what does she do? Like any experienced religious follower, she brings up a theological dispute. Like that's the safest place to go, right? I have a problem. I have personal struggles with shame, guilt, confusion. What do I do? I'm going to escape into the abstract. I'm going to escape into the impersonal. I'm going to get philosophical, existential, practical, anything but real. I'll read a book. That's my choice. Um, something entirely different from my actual problem. And I think that's it, worship styles. Like, that's the conversation I need to have with Jesus. That's the conversation she wants to have, worship styles. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, which is just the greatest line. Um, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Christ, ever patient, lets her lead the conversation, but he turns it back on her. He won't let it be impersonal. He answers her question directly. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Uh, Notice again, Jesus doesn't shy away from conflict. He calls out the Samaritans for willful ignorance of God's revelation. Salvation is not from the Samaritans, but from the Jews. It is wrong for them to not worship in Jerusalem. But Jesus doesn't let the theological get in the way of the personal. For him, theology is personal. He brings it back to this woman's need. She asks this very sterile question. Our father said this, but you Jews say that Jerusalem is a place where people, generic people, ought to worship. What does Jesus say? Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He speaks directly to her in a really surprising way. You, we're not talking about generic people. We're talking about you. Worship is for you. It doesn't matter that you're a Samaritan. It doesn't matter that you're a woman. It doesn't matter that you've had five husbands. You will worship the Father. There is coming an hour when you will be a true worshiper. He prophesies over this woman, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father. How can that be? Because God is seeking you. He is after you. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. He makes it clear to her, her, God is seeking you. He is seeking you. The invitation is for you to be a true worshiper who worships God in spirit and truth. Why did God send Jesus? Because he wants true worshipers. Worshipers who love him truly, genuinely, freely, not to appease him, not to distract him or distract us. Worshippers who don't worship God to get something from God, but worship him for who he is. Which is why true worship is worship that begins with grace. Because there's nothing left to get. There's nothing left to earn. He has earned it all for me. He has given it to me generously. And so true worship starts from this experience of being loved first. Of having nothing left to do but glory and God's kindness and goodness. Only then can worshipers worship truly being caught up in God's glory and beauty and goodness. Who see Jesus and think this is what God is like. 
He is worthy of worship. John 1, 14. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Samaritan woman is right in this moment experiencing this transition, where at first she saw just a man, just a Jewish man, then she saw a kind man, and now she is seeing his glory, God's glory as of the only Son from the Father. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. God is seeking worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth. And more to the point, he is seeking you. Every one of you, every one of us. And so do we believe that God is seeking us out to worship him? He wants our voices in the chorus of the saints. He wants your voice. He wants to feel your joy in him today. He wants your life, no matter your history. Despite your five husbands, real or metaphorical, despite drunken nights, despite addictions and infidelities, despite anxieties and anger and apathy and insecurity, God wants you. Those things that you don't want Jesus to bring up, that you think will disqualify you from his love, the things that you never talk about, Jesus already knows those things about you. He's not afraid of them, and you shouldn't be afraid either. They don't change his goal for you. They don't change his love for you. Rest assured, Jesus will bring all those things up. He, he, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. He exposes, but he exposes with love and grace. He will shine light on you, but it is the light of grace. No matter your past, no matter your present, he still loves you. He still wants you. God is seeking true worshipers, and that includes you. This is the gospel of grace. Romans 5, 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for the Samaritan woman and for me and for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For John 4.10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is what we were made for, eternal life, eternal worship that flows from grace. And this is the Samaritan woman's true desire. She doesn't want running water. She wants a life set free to worship. That is what she wants. It reminds me of St. Augustine who is a saint who knows what it's like to search for meaning and sex and relationships. That is his origin, his book, Confessions, uh, which recounts that, opens with these famous lines, Great are you, O Lord, and exceedingly worthy, worthy of praise. Your power is immense, your wisdom beyond reckoning, and so we long to praise you. We were made to worship God, to drink from the fountain of living waters. That is what we need. That is what we want the woman at the well is settling for survival, but what her heart wants to do is to sin. You can hear it in her voice. She kind of almost is not speaking with Jesus in verse 25. There's a wistfulness here. Like she's staring off. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. But she knows she can't do it on her own. Augustine will go on to lament with 
this sister of his, the Samaritan woman, the house of my soul is too small for you to enter, Lord. Lord, make it more spacious by your coming. It lies in ruins. Rebuild it. Some things are to be found there which will offend your gaze. I confess this to be so and know it well, but who will clean my house? To whom but yourself can I cry? Cleanse me of my hidden sins, O Lord. If we could look into the Samaritan woman's heart, I think we would find something very similar to this prayer, which is why verse 26 must have been the best news. It must have brought tears to her eyes when Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I'm the one you want. I can accomplish not just your survival, but your complete healing, your complete restoration. No man has ever loved you, but I will love you. I am the Messiah. I can rebuild your soul. I can cleanse your heart. I can give you life. All you have to do is ask. Remember Jesus' main point in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In the story, how do we know that she finally gets it? Because of this beautiful little detail. John is constantly putting in these tiny details. Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar. It's such a beautiful note to the story. She left it behind. Her wants had changed entirely. She wasn't thirsty anymore. She had what she needed now springing up from inside her. Further evidence that she finally got it. Notice what she said to the crowd. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. And she's rejoicing in that. This woman who used to do everything to avoid exposure. She was trying to not remember what all that she ever did. Now she marches into town and talks about a man who told me everything. She's not ashamed anymore. Because he told her all that she ever did, and he still loved her, he still wanted her. What is the gift of God? It is everything. It's eternal life through the Spirit. And that includes all that's entailed by the gospel of grace. It's forgiveness from sin. It's freedom from shame. It's adoption into God's family. The righteousness of Christ given to you, the character of Christ shaped in you, the perfection of Christ accomplished in you, it's eternal life, it's abundant life, it's the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, it's the presence of God in the kingdom of God, all resulting in true worship, worship in spirit and truth. The gospel frees us to worship, and then worship keeps us free. It sustains our freedom because you can't be afraid when you're worshiping in spirit and truth. You can't be ashamed when you're worshiping in spirit and truth. You can't be lonely. You can't be discontent or frustrated or covetous. You can't be proud or hateful or lost when you are worshiping God, when you are enraptured by it. The thing that we all really want, what the Samaritan woman wanted deep down and found in Jesus is the freedom to be worshipers. How do we become worshipers? According to John 4.10, you just ask. If you just ask, you would have asked him. Uh, Frederick Bruner wrote about this verse, asking in the Gospels is belief exhaling. 
in believing, we inhale the gospel with trust. In asking, we simply exhale this inward trust outward into the simplest, freest possible request. Notice Jesus' verb is not beg or entreat or implore, but the simplest word available in the Greek language, ask. The cookies are put very low and close on the shelf. The gospel's good news must not be turned into a spiritual triathlon. Ask is a gospel word. Asking is belief exhaling. So what are you asking God for? And what does that asking reflect about who you believe Jesus is? About who you believe you are? Can we ask God to make us worshipers, to give us water that wells up to eternal life? All you need to do is ask. What are you asking Christ for? Who do you believe he is? Make sure your life's request is as big and beautiful and good and true as he is. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are so very thankful for this conversation recorded in John chapter 4. We are the Samaritan woman. Uh, Maybe we can fake it and we... uh, are not estranged from our communities, that we're not not having to go by ourselves, but all of us are sort of venturing to wells in certain places in our life, all alone. All of us are finding life, uh, finding sustenance in broken cisterns. And we need you to come and offer us living water. We need you to come and connect us with the fountain of all living waters. Father, I pray that you would send your spirit to speak specifically to each of us where we need to believe in you, in who you are, in the good gift that you offer. And I pray for those people here who just need to ask. They're at the point where they know the facts and they just need to step forward and ask in faith. And you will give water to them. Father, we love you. We're thankful for how you love us how you're patient with us, how you meander in conversation with us, how you stick it out, help us to stick it out with you. We pray for this morning. We ask for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.